My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are with all of you. Amen. God's word for our meditation today from the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 16 through 26. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time he comes, comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel... All the prophets who have, who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So far, the words of our text. Dear friends in Christ our Savior, water has no taste. That's something you think a lot about, but it, it really has no taste. That's why they have flavorings now that you can add to the water to juice it up a little bit. Yet it's interesting, if water has no taste, that at the same time you might find yourself from time to time saying, nothing would taste better than a glass of water right now. How can that be? How can water have no taste on the one hand and yet have nothing taste better than it on the other? Usually you'd make a, a statement like that after you've been in, involved with work that's long, hard, and, and hot. Right? When you're sweaty and exhausted, that's when nothing tastes better than a cold glass of water. That's when water is the most refreshing. It, it energizes you. Water that you drink on a day-to-day -day basis may not leave that much of an impression on you. It's a, a practical way to hydrate yourself. But boy, water, water that you drink after long, hard, exhausting work, that's refreshing. So what does that have to do with the portion of God's Word that stands before us today? Well, as Peter preached God's word to a group of people, he encouraged this, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That message of repentance isn't a, a new message to us. It's really a message we hear week after week as we, we come into God's house. It's a message that... Just as water is essential for our physical health, is essential to stay alive spiritually. It's, it's needed for our spiritual health. Yet it's tempting for us to hear that message in kind of a rote, routine way. That week after week on hearing that message may not leave as strong of an impression on us. 
Well, it's really only when we hear the blunt, harsh law of God that reminds us what sinners we are, how helpless we are before God, and what we deserve for those sins, that we understand the refreshment God offers in the forgiveness of Jesus, our Savior. Today, God has a message of refreshment for us. It's not a soft message. It's a strong message that cuts straight to the heart. And yet it's a message that, when cut to the heart, brings to us more refreshment than we could even imagine as God reminds us of the forgiveness and life that are ours in Jesus, our Savior. Let's be encouraged today. As we're told, be refreshed spiritually with God's forgiveness. Now, the words Peter uses in our text are pretty simple and straightforward. It was the message he preached just prior to this text that was the one that was difficult to hear. Peter and John had just healed a crippled man, and a large crowd of people had gathered around them amazed at what had happened. And while that miracle was a great display of power, it wasn't that miracle alone that would bring these people to faith in Jesus as their Savior. Only the gospel message did that. Only the message of Christ crucified did that. And so Peter and John used this opportunity as a way for them to proclaim that message to the people. Peter's sermon was a very beautiful but very strong preaching of law and gospel, sin and grace with a call to repentance. You see, preaching the law means really pointing out what God wants us to do or or doesn't want us to do, and the punishment that comes when we don't meet that. Peter preached the law very pointedly, very directly to the people. He said, you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Now that's a very powerful, blunt preaching of the law. That law would have hit the people with the full force of a lightning bolt, and and that was the point. It would have been tempting for them to soft-pedal what had happened to Jesus and blame the Jewish leaders for being the one who handed him over and killed Jesus. See, that's what the sinful nature does. It tries to find loopholes tries to find a way around relieving the, te- the, the, the stress and the tension and anxiety of, of confessing sin. Peter wanted these people in front of him to know they were just as guilty for putting Jesus on the cross as those Jewish leaders were. For them to know that the true joy of forgiveness. For them to see what Jesus came to offer, they first needed to understand the need they had for him as a Savior. It would have been easy for them to simply be vaguely disturbed by the poor choice the leaders made in handing over an innocent man. 
Peter needed them to admit they were the ones who were guilty for Jesus being on the cross. It was their sins for which he had go, so they could see in Jesus the Savior he came to be and the blessings of life and forgiveness he came to bring. Now, it's important we understand the crowd to whom Peter was preaching that day. He was preaching to a crowd of unconverted unbelievers who had not yet come to see the need they had for Jesus as Savior. He was preaching to a crowd of impenitent unbelievers who were living in their sin and had not yet seen the need they had for forgiveness. Obviously, that's not the crowd I'm preaching to today. I mean, I don't know most of you, but you're here today precisely because you recognize that need for forgiveness. That's what draws us to God's house. Yet that doesn't exempt us from that strong preaching of the law. Even those of us who know our Savior need to hear God's law preached in all its truth and reality. We need to have that law preached to to, to help us from sliding into complacency and to remind us again and again of the need we have for a Savior. An experienced pastor told me when I first entered the ministry, it's good for a pastor from time to time to sit down with his people and be open and blunt about their spiritual lives. That is a good thing. It's good that we regularly be reminded of of who we really are as we stand before God. Temptation for us is to just be vaguely disturbed by our sin and to try and comfort and console ourselves with the fact that at least we're trying the best that we can and we are doing way better than most of the people that are out there. You see, that type of thinking leads us to become complacent in our faith leads us to think a little bit more highly of ourselves than perhaps we ought to. And as soon as we start thinking a little more highly of ourselves than what we ought to, that lessens the message of forgiveness. We see less than the need we have for forgiveness because we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. No, you and I need the bruntness of God's law too. You and I need to have God's law hit us with the same force of a lightning bolt. Here's the reality. You and I are just as guilty for putting Jesus on the cross as the Jews were that day. Oh, you'll still hear in our society today that anti-Semite philosophy that that blames the Jews for killing Jesus. And and yes, they, they were the ones who were there that day who forced the issue with Pilate even though he had chosen otherwise. But that wasn't the only reason Jesus was on the cross that day. The book of Hebrews tells us over and over, he died once for all. That means all sin of all people for all time. And that puts you and I in that same group. That sin you committed on the way into worship this morning, or those sins yesterday, or throughout this past week, or this last year, all those sins made it necessary for Jesus to go to Calvary's cross. That's a blow to our ego and self-esteem. 
It means that perhaps we're not quite as good as we thought we are. We're not as blameless as we try to appear. In fact, that takes away any hope we have, not only of, of achieving salvation, but even participating in it. Those little lies that seem innocent enough, those thoughts of jealousy, hatred, that gossip and slander that so easily flows out of your lips, those actions that appear so selfless on the outside but you know are totally selfishly motivated on the inside, all of those sins made it necessary for Jesus to die. You may not have ever been involved in an adulterous affair yourself, but those lustful thoughts that linger in your head make you just as guilty of that sin before God. You may never have outright stolen anything from anyone, but those jealous thoughts, those covetous thoughts, make you just as guilty before God. Or maybe you did those things. And the life you're living now is only an attempt to try and hide the sins from the past that nobody else knows about. The truth is, God knows. You and I can try and hide all we want. We can pretend all we want, but God knows. We stand before God in the last day. It's all going to be laid open. We'll have no choice but to admit, yes, I'm guilty. I, too, am a sinner. And deserve nothing but God's wrath and punishment. Now, I don't know about you, but, but when I hear that message, I start to feel spiritually about the same way I feel physically after a long, hot, day, hard days of work when I'm sweaty and exhausted. That nothing, nothing would taste better than a cold, refreshing drink of water. That's what we need spiritually, that, that cold, refreshing drink of water. And Jesus doesn't disappoint, and neither does Peter. Because Peter followed up that very harsh, blunt preaching of the law with the beautiful comfort of the gospel message. When you and I acknowledge our sin, and we confess that sin, and lay it before the Lord, God forgives that sin. He reminds us that because of the perfect life of Jesus our Savior and the innocent death he died on the cross and the fact that he rose from the grave made full and complete payment for our sin. And because of what Jesus did, God wipes that sin forever from his sight. It's kind of like writing with a black marker on a whiteboard. And you spray the solution on and you wipe it off and you look and you can't even tell the marker was ever there. That's what God sees when he now looks at you and I through the blood of Jesus our Savior. Sin's gone, wiped away clean, gone from his sight forever. Oh, what a beautiful picture. What a refreshing thought. May we never lose sight of that refreshment God offers to us in the forgiveness of sins. Many years ago, a young man came up to me and said, Pastor, I get it now. I really, finally get it. A couple had not been married that long, a couple of years. Unfortunately, the husband had been carrying on an affair with a co-worker throughout that time, of course, totally unknown to his wife. As you can imagine, when that became public, it was devastating. 
He was embarrassed, ashamed, loaded, burdened down with guilt. He didn't love himself because of what he had done. And so what a powerful message to hear that God still did. God not only loved him, God forgave him. Jesus paid for that sin. His sin was forgiven. Heaven was still his. What a powerful message that was. See, the problem was up until that point, I don't know that he fully understood the depth of his sin. I mean, he confessed it regularly every Sunday, but it was kind of a rote ritual that he went through, mechanical, without really thinking about it. And sadly, that robbed him of the full joy of knowing the, the, the full refreshment God offered in Jesus. Unfortunately, it took an event like this that ended up costing him not only his job, but his wife to come to that realization. You, you don't have to go through an event like that to understand the, the refreshment God offers you in Jesus. Every Sunday you come to this worship house and and you confess your sins to God. You confess you've sinned against him in thought, word, and deed. You confess you've not loved him nor others the way that you should. You confess you're a sinner who deserves his wrath and punishment. Just, Just think about what it is that you confess every single time you come into God's house. Those aren't just words that we speak, nor a ritual that we go through. That's a heartfelt confession to God that we have not been the people he wants us to be. And yet every single Sunday, God, through his called servant, says, I love you and I forgive you. You are restored to live a new and holy life. You are my child. Heaven is open to you. I love you and I forgive you. My friends, drink from that cup of spiritual refreshment that God offers you in Jesus. Be refreshed to know those sins are gone forever. Be energized to go out and live as God's holy people. As baptized, restored children of God, let that new person now arise daily to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. God loves you. God forgives you. God has heaven waiting for you. Be refreshed spiritually with the forgiveness God offers in Jesus. Amen.